two-week notice podcast. Yo, 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 what up, everyone? You are listening to the Two Week Notice Podcast. My name is Dana Bui. I'm your host. Thank you so much for listening. Come on! And today, we have a very special episode for you. All right, listen. We have John LaCroix of 10 Yard Fight, Boston legendary hardcore band. They invented National Edge Day on October 17th. 1999. This is a worldwide holiday now that's celebrated every year. So for you straight edge folks, this one's for you. All right. So I'm actually up in my ski condo in New Hampshire right now, kid. Sometimes this room sounds a little bit different. I don't know. I'm not even sure how this is going to come out. Is this thing on? Can you hear me? Come out. All right. Let's get to my chat with my man, John LaCroix. Thank you, John. This is a good one. Enjoy. Well, let me introduce you proper here. We have on the podcast a legend among legends, John LaCroix. What's up, dude? Oh, dude, I don't know. I don't really consider myself a legend, but what I wanted to say about you is that you are a person who wants people to feel good about themselves. You want to uplift people. Is that true? Is that, I mean, is that just like, that's an observation? Yeah, I don't know what I did to deserve you saying those kind words, but yes. Well, I I mean, you run around like a fucking idiot with like, (laughs) You know, a cowbell and throwing like, was that a business expense to get all those ball? Those, those, uh, no, I just uh, bought them. Yeah. The see, beach balls. That's, talk- that's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. But it was that's awesome. Exactly what I'm talking about. See, so you're an uplifter. Kind of people who get like walked on in life sometimes because you're too nice. Maybe I try not to take any shit, but I, I can't say that it hasn't happened in the past. You know, I think it's worth it to, uh, get burnt a few times in life, even by people who you thought were cool and you, you know, you had a lot of admira- admiration for them or you know you whatever you have whatever kind of relationship with them but to continue to just be cool to them even though they're shitheads is uh he's better in the end fuck it man if you're gonna get burnt you're gonna get burnt at least you're a good person that was very well said and, and we're kind of speaking broadly here but i try not to stoop down to that level like just kind of be like for lack of better words like a the better person in, in maybe mm-hmm. those scenarios but mm-hmm. you know i definitely have my moments where someone gets the best of me maybe you know and i yeah. can i can be a dick you know oh sure but um me the other day i said something like like, I fucking can't even let my enemies fail. I can't even, like, I just don't like anybody having the bad feeling of fucking something up that I don't even want, like, little fucking shitheads in my life to experience it. Right. <laughs> and I get I get a sense of that from you where you're like, I'm just going to make this show fucking fun whether or not anybody cares that I spent $69 or whatever it was on. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, it was something like that. They were I had 69 beach balls and they were about a buck a piece. So you kind of hit the nail on the head there. And I yeah. think you hit the nail on the head with your assessment, which impresses me. Dude, so wait, what town do you live in? Currently, I am staying in Drake It. Drake It, dude. Massachusetts, near Lowell. 
another terrible L. I was born sort of in Lawrence and Methuen area, and I grew up a lot in Lawrence. And then I moved here when <laughs> when shit gets bad is usually when I move here. <laughs> Wait, are you suggesting that my hometown of Lynn, Massachusetts is terrible. a terrible L? Terrible L. <laughs> Lynn, well, you know, Lowell in Lawrence, right? Yeah, exactly. So my good friend Kevin Norton grew up in Lynn in the 80s or 70s even. He's just older person than I am uh, from Eye for an Eye and a whole bunch of other bands. It's a great band name. I always yeah, love that one. So good. Yeah. It's amazing that they grabbed it so early on too, because right. there was that like Crozier and Conformity record called that. Uh, but he said it was a pretty terrible place, but there was also like bands and stuff there. And I guess uh, Hell's Angels. That's kind of a cool thing, I guess. Totally. There's definitely like a lot of Hell's Angels. They come to my bar. I had to throw one out recently. How's that? He's like, do me a favor. Like, don't call the cops. I think he was just out of jail. And I was like, <laughs> do me a favor. Don't come back. How's that? We'll make a deal. That seemed like a good deal, actually. Right? I, I thought it was quite reasonable. But, yeah, I think so, too. You know, it is, I guess, a terrible L. And, and I'm so fucking proud of that in a weird way, just because it's like home. And because, you know, I learned stuff on the streets that you can't really learn in a classroom. You feel me? Yeah, I mean, I grew up in a place that, you know, playground rules were uh, pretty hard rules to like live by, but I kind of feel like I'm okay with it. You know, I mean, I definitely like even had nightmares like as a kid, like getting beat up at the playground, but there became a time where it stopped happening like that. And I started being the winner of the fights. Dude, I also had similar nightmares when I was in like elementary school. Some of them were reoccurring. Yeah. I mean, I've been beat up. I don't like to fight in the first place, but things happen. Nobody really does. I've been on both sides of it, but like, I don't know. I felt like maybe just being aware that that shit can happen. Yeah. In itself is like important, you know? (coughs) Sorry, I'm like dying right here because I'm sucking down whiskey. What are you drinking? Oh, dude, it's it's, it's not even that impressive. I I wanted to go out and get something like yummy so I could just be like, oh, it's something like yummy and cool. (laughs) But it's Jameson. (laughs) Dude, what's wrong with Jameson? Jameson's great. It's delicious. It's delicious. But you know, it's awesome. I had a rough day, you know? So anyway, like, yeah, I mean, uh, funny thing about dreams is I've had uh, a couple reoccurring dreams and I always wondered if it really meant in my psyche that these things were really hurting me like so terribly. But one of them is like just missing a flight from Japan, which I did. And it was a bummer, but it's like, it only cost me 300 bucks. And like, I showed up at the hotel, you know, a day late and that's fine. But I still have that dream over and over and over again. You know what I have? I usually don't remember my dreams at all. No, me neither. There are two that I know I have all the time one is like my childhood dog who lived for like 17 years i dream about her it seems like every day i get i remember little snippets and sometimes in those dreams she can talk she can talk like a human you know what i mean which is interesting (laughs) that one that one i get a lot i do love dogs i don't know but yeah i mean dogs are awesome yeah and then maybe your dog is speaking to you from the unknown dude maybe and then the other one i get i'm back in high school and i can't graduate oh yeah i have a similar one do you get that well, one? I sh- well, my mine is that I show up and it's like, it's a test and it's your final test and like, you're going to be graded on everything. And it's like, I haven't been to class like all year. And then, you know, I just like don't, ha- basically it, it amounts to, I don't have enough to graduate and I'm like freaking out about not being able to graduate. Yes, exactly. Like I'll be a senior. I don't know mm-hmm. if it's like one particular class. Like, cause again, it's hard to remember the details yeah. of the dreams. It may. Me, it was a math part. class. Well, I actually like did screw up and like didn't do a math class, and like it did screw me up in life, like actually crazy way. So again, it's like it's rooted in something real. But like, the, why am I still worried about it? 
Right. Exactly. Like, I don't even think about high school, but I almost didn't graduate high school. Like, not that I'm not capable. I just like fucked around, you know? Mm -hmm. How do I get through this, John? I don't know. I think you need to like beat it out of you or like go on an ayahuasca trip. Or I, don't, I don't know. Pull a Billy Madison. Just go back to school. Yeah, man. That would be cool. <laughs> Actually, you and I should go back to school. That would be our sitcom. Oh, my God. You know? <laughs> You know, I like to think I would go back and get straight A's, but like, I actually, I feel like I would immediately just like start sleeping in class or skipping classes. You know what I mean? I'm the same guy that I was back then. I Release think. all the frogs, like all <laughs> kinds of fun stuff that's like done in movies. Yeah, that's hilarious. That kind of stuff is what I would do, really, if I could go back. Yeah, man. You just reminded me. So you said frogs. As much as Lynn is a shithole, there are some beautiful spots. I live on a pond. So Okay. All right. Um, earlier today, while we were texting, I, I went out back, dude, and there was a turtle digging a hole to like lay mm. some eggs. Mm. The turtle came up from the pond. It probably took that motherfucker all day because he had to go up steps and stuff. I've never mm. seen a turtle in his backyard. Mm. You know what I'm saying? But they're all mm -hmm. over the pond. When I take the kayak out, I, I see them all the time. Determined turtle. It had to be a mother like laying some eggs yep. and then I came back and like the hole that it was burying was gone so it, it cleaned it up so it definitely there's some eggs under there now the, wow. con the concern is there's like animals that will find those mm -hmm. so you're the defender now though well exactly and i'm worried because i'm going to florida tomorrow in like fucking 10 hours mm -hmm. but it can take a couple of months which i didn't know for these sure. things to hatch under there yeah i had no idea could take up to 90 days i was told or i read my so only knowledge of this is literally in the galapagos islands where they just put like a little fence around the stuff and they say turtle eggs here stay away okay you know that's a good idea because i was trying to figure out how to protect this Spot, cage or something but, but without fucking up their environment mm -hmm. right but that skunk or I don't, I don't know what animals fox whatever it might be skunk yeah they're bastards for sure but raccoon you know whatever raccoons um, yeah they're gangster too they, yeah, they yeah, walk stealing, these things yeah the ones street. that steal shit yeah oh yeah those bastards so like muskrats whatever yeah all that, is that shit. A thing i don't know is that a thing <laughs> probably uh in lynn maybe not I don't, I don't know or you mean a thing in general <laughs> yeah i don't even know is that an animal or is that a category i don't know i was going muskrat? with it it sounds like um what do you call those things that are like gophers and possums? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There's, a, there's a word for it. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I'm talking about? You don't know the Varmint? word? Varmint? I don't know. Varmint? No. Uh, <laughs> that, that works. <laughs> I don't know. It's like rodent. Rodent. Or, rodent. Yeah. I feel like that's marsupial. Insulting. I don't know. Maybe not. Something like that. Yeah, anyway, so. But I've been worried about this, and I'm going to worry when I'm in Florida. Like I know, would totally I, worry. So I like the fence idea, because that probably wouldn't fuck them up, right? Like, if, if they hatched and they were trying to get out, I would just How, just how big was the turtle mama? Uh, maybe, like, the size of a Frisbee, like a standard, what was that, 12 okay. inches? So you cut a hole this big, not any bigger, so the mama turtle can just... Do they come back? Babies. I thought they probably lay on that shit, hang out. I didn't think keep it warm. I, do the moms come back? Are you sure? No, dude, I'm making this shit up as I go. <laughs> well, everything else sounded good, <laughs> and you might you might still be right, dude. I have no idea. Well, thank you for I'll helping me work idea. through that because I like the idea of like a little cage or yeah. fence or something. Yeah, that's you just get a. Uh, do you know any turtle like bouncer friends or, or anything that could like like watch the door? Like a security guard? Yeah, like a turtle bouncer. No. Just but... to make only turtles allow turtles to come in. I bet I could find some if I yeah, man, seriously. went I'm on the pond. Up. I don't yeah, know if they well, like Well, yeah, you're in music, so I mean, I figure, like, you know somebody. <laughs> <laughs> My mouth is so dry. I hate Massachusetts. You think that's a Massachusetts thing? It's that stupid pollen that keeps coming in the freaking... Oh. 
Well, I'm, I have the same problem, but I just had COVID, so my throat's all fucked up too. So I thought maybe it was yeah, just right. that. How yeah. is that? How was COVID? Is it fun? No. Well, again? actually, the first time it was fun. This was back in 2020. I wasn't sick. I just like couldn't smell or taste at all. And like, other than that, I felt fine, but I got like two weeks off of work. So it was fun. <laughs> but yeah. this time, it was right when I got back from tour, man. And I felt like a week straight, dude. I, I was stuck in bed. It was actually terrible. And I still have fatigue, like big time, big time. You're tired? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm always tired. So it's at first I thought it was like normal, but now I know it's because of COVID. I talked to my doctor and he was like, are you like way more tired than even normal? And I was like, yeah, he's like with this um, strain, Omicron or whatever. He said it's the neck up, which is like why I'm still like my throat's still fucked up and the fatigue thing. Did you tell him that you're an athlete in the area of uh, cowbell? <laughs> he, he does know about the cowbell. Okay. He's well aware. Sure don't want you to have a heart attack or anything like that. Dude, I mean, the cowbell's not going to play itself, brother. It's true. It's very true. <laughs> John LaCroix, I didn't even mention how rude of me. Mm-hmm. Most notably, 10-yard ten, ten fight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Legendary yeah, stuff. I want to talk mm-hmm. about you and music. Let's go back, dude. Where were you born? You said Lowell Lawrence. I was born in Methuen, technically, and then I lived in Lawrence for a couple of years until I was like first grade, and then I moved to Methuen, and that was the rest. Okay. And then I moved to, you know, Mission Hill when I was 17 and you know got lucky to move in with a bunch of weirdos who were all playing music and stuff and you know that's the real history right there how old are you 46 i guess i was born in 1975 okay so you look yeah, younger than that. i fucking love when people say that you I'll do give you a kiss on the mouth i really will don't do that no yeah. <laughs> well, you might get covid well yeah i don't like that <laughs> Um, but I like when people say that because shit, man, like I, I don't want to be old. I don't want to, I don't want to act my age or any of that stuff. Yeah, man. Same here. You know? Yeah. And I should also mention, you know, we could recap, um, that recent show real quick, actually. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. dude, actually you really came through because Piebald played Sticks and Stones Fest opening up for Newfound Glory and Four Year Strong and Bayside, The Movie Life, uh, Be Well. It was such an awesome day. Worcester Palladium Outdoors, which that was my first time doing that. Same thing. Like seven, 8,000 people, it holds. I think they sold like maybe five or 6,000 tickets, but whatever. Okay, awesome. I, I was like, this is 4,000. Travis was like, no way. I was like, this is 4,000, dude. Easily, and to add to that, the following Saturday, this past weekend, same exact scenario, a different show. It was the Vagrant Records um, mm. like festival. So it was Dashboard Confessional, the oh Get Up God. Kids, Hot oh Rod Circuit. Oh, my God. Moaning. Oh, my God. And the anniversary. And Thrice was supposed to be there, but someone in their camp got COVID. That's a cra- incredible bill, man. Like, holy crap. Fuck How many people yeah. were there? It was so weird, man. Uh, you were there last, whatever, for the piebald. Uh, it was one. packed. It was this- a lot. Dude, I, I actually snapped a photo and sent it to like the piebald group text. There was nobody there. It felt like, like until it got dark out, which is right around probably the time the Get Up Kids went on. I'm telling you like maybe a thousand people, maybe 1500. Really? And people, people were coming up because I was selling uh, merch for Hot Rod Circuit in the anniversary. Mm-hmm, and people mm-hmm. remembered me like, you played the cowbell last week. And I was like, yeah. So I was asking those people who were there for both. I said, is it me or is there nobody here? And I don't, I'm not trying to try the Get Up Kids, the Get Up Kids kill it, man. What the hell? And I'm not trying to like, trash vague ran or like say anything bad but it was just like weird like um all right so you remember there was the it was kind of gated off to go from the merch area Mm -hmm. to like where the stage was right you remember that Mm-hmm. That area, even where the merch was, was full, like with the food trucks and shit. But on this show, it was not it, it, at wow. all. It was odd. Where, where was it again? The same exact place, the Palladium what? Outdoors. With the Get Up Kids, man? And Dashboard Confessional. 
Oh my God. I'm like bummed. Again, thrice dropping off. I'm sure there were people who just didn't show up because of that. But but still, they were, I guess they were selling tickets. People were telling me they got emails. The week of, like last minute, they dropped the price to 20 bucks to go just because, like, they were trying to just, you know, get people in the doors. So again, I'm not trashing anybody. And it was still awesome. By the end, there was, I don't know, there was at least 2,000 people, maybe, maybe 2,000. Um, it's always my fear with these big 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 shows like you just never know man like we've even Tanner fight we used to play a couple once in a while they'd be like oh it's gonna be like you know i don't even want to say but like some special weekend some band in their hometown and they're gonna have like a mini festival and then like doesn't turn out very well happened like that a couple times well i was thinking i'm like i wonder how much money somebody lost on this one right tons of money i imagine right I don't even know how it works anymore. How's it work anymore? I used to like rent the place is what I did is is I would just rent the place for, you know, 3,000 something, whatever dollars and hope that I had enough people show up. All right. This is a great example. You're talking like like a VFW hall or something, right? Well, I mean, I did like, you know, I'm like, I'm I'm thinking about like 10 yard fights last show. We did it like Karma Club. And I think the rent was like something like 4,000 bucks or something like that. Total Boston hardcore, like DIY style, right? You you just did it yourself. You didn't have a booking agent. Always, always, always. Like even like when I first met, like, you know, like all the piebald guys, it started that way because there's a place called the Red Barn and the Red Barn was, I guess it was like a community center or something like that in North Endeavor. Maryland. And yeah, yeah, exactly. Maryland was the, I don't know what she had to do with it other than she was like kind of like a person about town uh, at Catch the Wave Skate Shop. And uh, we used to go there, hang out. And, you know, at one point, I don't know how it it came up, but we just said like, hey, like I wanted my stupid band to play somewhere anywhere and i wanted a skate park so and there was just bands all over right like there was bands all over the merrimack valley throughout like i don't know south of boston and so it was like okay maybe we'll use it to raise money for the skate park and you know bands like cave in and piebald played their first shows there 10 yard fight played their first show there with cave in and piebald i believe was the actual show you sent that flyer recently yeah, it's crazy, right? Like, it's so weird to think that we were all together. And of course, like, you know, we made that flyer that I sent you. So, of course, it looks like we're the freaking headliner. But that was part of the joke of 10 Yard Fight at the time was like, we're just going to act like we're the headliner. <laughs> Dude, but you're joking. But there's also something to that. Like, yeah, I mean, you were making you know, shit happen. Yeah, it was like, start that- with attitude and you let that lead, I guess. And it was like, okay, we're just going to, like, do shit. But, you know, 10 Yard Fight, we never had any any goal of being like a real band we never thought would anybody would offer us money to like play a to make a record or anything like that we never thought that was possible right i don't know fuck it man shit merrick valley is where all the dreams come true you know there was something in the water at totally. the time because yeah you got piebald cave in converge 10 yard fight like but so like many events. the list goes on and on but like my point is because if you if you zoom out right hardcore you know I want to say it was Shane from Silverstein, maybe, or I forget who it was who I was talking to. I think it was Shane, like saying, like, this isn't a hair metal phase. Like, this is a thing. Emo, hardcore, whatever, you know, pop punk, like that stuff is now like almost classic rock as far as timeline. But I know it's here to stay. Like, people are bringing their kids to shows. Like, I'm selling little kids piebald shirts because their parents fucking love piebald and they bring their kids every show now, at least once or twice. Someone's like, this is my, my daughter and, you know, whatever. This is, this is Jennifer yeah. and it's her first concert ever. And like, do you got anything for kids and it's so cool yeah well we're all like growing up and we all had kids and it's been that long you know like it's just crazy man like i remember thinking like 
you know, when I first started going to shows, I don't know like what date exactly I put on like the birth of like what I loved, but it was something like minor threat, right? It was something like 1981 or 82 or something like that. But like, I got into it like seven or eight years later, like it wasn't that much of a time period. But now like this punk hardcore thing has been around for like 40, 50 years now. It's just wild that it's spanning like multiple generations. Totally. Like literally I was hanging out with people. I went to a show a couple nights ago, kind of young, like band playing in Lowell. And they were talking about like their father going to see youth, uh, not youth day, um, seven seconds. It's like your father went to see seven seconds. Like, oh yeah, that's right. Cause I could be your father. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And I went to see seven seconds way back in the day, you know, like yeah. it's a genre that exists like emo. I remember like right. saying emo like years ago and being like, what does emo mean? Like using it as like, you know, that's emo, not uh, even like talking about like the genre. I think the best way to say it these days is the scene. Yeah. It's a nice way to put an umbrella over it. And like Methuen of all fucking places and like Andover, you know, like North Andover, like that's where the Red Barn was. Right. But Methuen is where you're from. That's like the caving guys. And mm -hmm. and then Andover with like Piebald and Converge. And you guys all at the same time came together. And yeah. the Red Barn is like really important. You know, you got to have a venue, right? Yeah. The Sepri Center, like a little spot. Yeah. Where everybody was just kind of, you know, accepted. And, you know, it was a super weird mix. So I mean, Tanner, if I played there, but yeah, but like my stupid band played before that like way before that you know years and years before that so you know when you say like cave-in like one of the things i used to joke about cave-in like i used to say that i invented them because i was like they're basically you know they're descendants of mine <laughs> or was that the other way antecedent am i the antecedent i think i am so anyway the old fucking guy that you know leads the path for them to fucking do anything as if like i deserve any credit for what they do no not at all the only thing that i did is, you know, we had a really incredible graphic arts lab at Methuen High School uh, run by teacher, Mr. Schamberger. What was his name? Schamberger was his name. That's awesome. Name. Schamberger. <laughs> um, and he was a little bit eclectic, a little interesting guy. Like he was like always talking about people cutting their arms off and stuff in the oh. paper cutter. Oh, wow. But, <laughs> oh, like um, the, the slice thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> but like, but like, if you were like a, you know, a DIYer or, or like, you know, into the stuff, you probably heard about that graphic arts lab because like me years before, like somebody printed black flag stickers. I don't know who, but somebody years before I went there you know, high school, Methuen High School, I guess I went from like 90, 89 or 90, something like that. Somebody made black flag stickers. And when I saw that, I was like, I'm going to go live in the graphic arts lab and make my own stuff. And it was a really big deal for me because I made my zine in that room. I, you know, made logos for bands. I did t-shirt designs, like did all kinds of stupid shit. And then I left a drawer full of all the shit I had made. And a few of my friends had made like a little time capsule and years later steve brodsky said to me he goes hey i got a message from like shamburger and i started you know i goofed and i laughed and i fuck, oh my god shamburger what's up he goes i found your drawer and in it was like a picture of like sweet pete that i'd taken where he was like jumping with like a glove and he was like fake he was, he was a fake singer of a fake band uh <laughs> literally and uh they had found all this stuff and i was like that's fucking cool you know like that's actually i never expected that to happen but the fact that these dudes found my drawer full of shit that i made youth of today notepads like why did i make youth today notepads because i fucking good um 
you know, stickers, all kinds of stuff, like printed a lot of photos because there was a photo lab there and these dudes found it and they fucking did way better than I did. So that's the way to do it. That's like you expect your gen- next generation to be way better than you, totally. but they are like way fucking better. I talked to Steve Brodsky and he did talk about, because I had um, the seven inch, the piebald cave in seven mm-hmm. split. I showed him like on the camera and he told the story of getting um, the insert made when he was in high school. Yeah. In that yeah. lab. It's coming full circle just from what we mm-hmm. were saying earlier. My high school didn't have any of that shit doing being right. in Lynn. We didn't have a didn't have fucking like photo lab. Motor shop or something like that? No. Well, there's four high schools in Lynn. There is a Lynn Tech, which has like auto. Is that, is that what you said? Motor? Yeah. I mean, that's like all my friends who've ever grew up in Lynn worked it or went to the Tech. Honestly, I should have went there. Like I would have been much better off because all I did was skip school. If I like, you know, actually like something did something cool. with my hands, I probably would have been better off. But regardless, um, Steve was just saying like how he went to uh, whatever you call the class. class. Graphic arts. Thank you. And he was like making show flyers and stuff like that. And uh, that's cool for me just like to put the two and two together there. How like you went there before and he found you. Oh, yeah. Like how did you, you were making stickers in school? Oh, like, dude. So, okay. Like, so the pinnacle of it is when I made a deal with Schamberger literally to print the teacher's manuals for like the whole, I don't know, school district or something. So they got me out of school for a week. They said, you don't have to go to class for a week. You just go, you sit in the graphic arts lab and you run this press and you you just run all the stuff. It's like running a zine because you had already done it. Because dude, I was like sneaking in there and like being like, I'm doing this for Schamberger. And like, and like running off flyers or making zines and all stuff. My first zines were done all at that school. So they gave me a deal. So here's your week. If you're done, you can do whatever you want. Like just keep going, like do whatever you want. Literally, you got all the paper you need. Just keep going. So that was the time that I booked Shelter, 108. It was like their first tour ever. And a few other bands. Fountainhead was like Norma Rainus's band at the time. And a couple other. I can't remember who else. Maybe. Oh, yeah. World, World's Clyde. World's Clyde, which is like they were amazing at the time. It's the first time they ever came to Boston. And we had a huge riot. Um, <laughs> yeah, that wasn't very cool. But it's probably because I printed like 7,000 flyers 7, like 000. a month. It's somewhere from like three to 7,000. I keep thinking in my head, but it was like thousands upon thousands, like reams and reams of paper that I made these flyers, these shelter flyers. And then I even made like 11 by 17 ones. And like me and my friends went out for like every night for weeks upon weeks, plastering them everywhere. And the show was absolutely huge. Wow. It turned into a riot, of course, but- um, Whoa, whoa, was, whoa. Uh, I don't want to like I need to go sidetrack there. you too much, but uh, like I'm curious about this riot. Well, um, <laughs> oh man, I don't, I mean, I don't know. Like there was a, there's a period of time where, you know, Boston had like basically slowed down a lot with shows because of the violence. What, just what, violence. what year are we talking here? This is 1991 maybe or 92 okay yeah it has to be 92 could be 93 but i don't i don't think so i didn't have a car i didn't drive so that's how young i was yeah so i was 16 i guess 16 or 17 so i knew shelter from hanging around them and being a fan and i got hooked up with their booking agent stormy shepherd she was like a very famous like you've heard the name a lot um and we had the the church in cambridge when it was like in its heyday where we had the the actual stage and that was the ocb I think it was, it was called Unitarian something. I don't know. Freaking whatever. Some church, but um, they were cool. And I think it was like, I think it was like a thousand bucks or like maybe 1500 bucks to rent. And we originally started renting the basement and there was like crusty shows or like, you know, I think I saw Rorschach down there. And then the bigger spot, you could rent that too. There was no, I mean, they didn't show up. 
There was no supervising. Like we were kids. So we booked the show. It was way too many people. There was a brawl or something. Uh, I grabbed a dude who's a sketchy dude. I cannot say his name. He is not alive anymore, but he's a sketchy dude. Grabbed him, pulled him outside. It was like, please stop. You're ruining my show. Please don't do this. And then like a few minutes later, you know, Raghunath, Ray Capo said something like, you know, everybody sit down in this thing. So everybody sat down during this thing. And then like, of course, the troublemakers were like, no, we're not going to sit down. And then it somehow turned into like, get them. Like there's more of us than there is of you go get them. And that was the riot. I mean, you know, the story of Krishna is based on of a, you know, a battlefield. So, you know, I guess it kind of may, may, may kind of make sense, but it was like, you know, he didn't really have much of a choice. There was a lot of bullying going on at this show. I mean, dude, there was a point where shelter was getting treated like awful them in earth crisis. They would be treated in ways that I don't know. I would have probably lost my mind eventually too. Like in, in Boston in particular, like in this area. Kind yeah. Of it was or? like throwing meat at them, throwing, yeah. you know, yeah. dead rat at them, you know, stuff like that. I mean, it's, I'm, I'm laughing, but it, yeah, yeah, in the moment it's like pretty fucking traumatic and not cool. So don't get me wrong. Yeah. Well, but, partly you're like, well, that's kind of punk. But well, no, oh, well, I was laughing because I had Jake Brennan on this podcast and he told me a story and actually your name came up on the podcast. No way. I swear. I'm going to insert that clip right here. And by that time, I remember someone in an algebra class telling me about this show they went to, not a concert, a show in Boston. And it was crazy. Like this band from New York showed up and this band from Boston was like throwing raw meat at them. And I was like, what the fuck are you even talking about, man? And it was... Uh, <laughs> It was this sto now legendary story about youth of today playing TT and the Bears and Slapshot throwing showing up and throwing meat at them because they were vegetarian. And you know, a week later, I had the Where the Wild Things Are uh, comp, the the Revelation New York Hardcore one, and and New York Hardcore, and then Boston Hardcore, and then all of a sudden there's like a scene out in like Worcester County, Massachusetts of hardcore bands. And one of them was from my hometown and this band called Backbone. And I was friends with those guys. And then, you know, part of that band eventually became Cast Iron Hike. I remember sitting at the kitchen table with John LaCroix and the guys from who became 10 Yard Fight. And they were like literally inventing the band right there. <laughs> you know, it wow. just goes on to become this like huge thing. And of course, edge day and all that stuff that is you know, grown into. It's just, it's funny to think that like you were there at that moment. At the same time, at that moment, you know, I was very aware of music history and stuff and like of all the great hardcore that came before us, all the, the discord, the DC scene, that whole, that whole thing where Brian was from, he was kind of like the later generation, but, and then of course the New York hardcore scene, which we, we've already mentioned and I was very aware of that stuff. And I remember feeling like, oh God, man, it was so, it must've been so cool to like go to those Sunday matinees when, you know, Gorilla Biscuits were starting or whatever. And like, I'm fuck, I missed out, you know, and little do you know, you're part of this thing that's already, that's happening on its own. You know what I mean? And you're kind of, you're lucky to like be in it. You don't really notice that stuff until, until later. And when you look back and when, you know, it's just, it just speaks to like, you got to kind of show up in life. You know what I mean? You got to kind of like, just keep showing up. You'll be part of something, you know, you'll do something cool. People around you will do something cool, that sort of thing. And I didn't, I didn't realize, I knew there was cool stuff going on around us at the time, but you know, that 10 yard fight thing was pretty, pretty incredible.
So what he said, to fill you in, he remembers when 10-yard fight was first talked about. Mm -hmm. he and he said, I remember John LaCroix basically inventing 10-yard fight in our kitchen or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, like, we were just talking about it like it was a, a major joke. And then... You know, I remember the people I called, like I called, um, I called Brian McTurnan is actually one of the first people we called. We said, you know, anybody that plays drums and, uh, Converge was either recording at Brian's house with Sweet Pea or Ben's drums were there. So this is a thing that I don't know how many people know. Ben Chusid learned how to play the drums on Ben Kohler's drum set. But, uh, either way, you know, Brian McTurnan was like, yeah, you should, uh, you should see if Ben can figure it out. I remember thinking like, what do you mean? Like, isn't he like the dude from Battery? Like, he's a bass player, right? It's like, oh, yeah, but he can play any instrument. He just has to just try. And it's absolutely true. So he did that. It was at their house. That's cool, man. Just to go back real quick, we were talking about putting on shows. So mm -hmm. you were usually the guy for, just say, 10-yard fight or whatever band you were in to rent the venue. Because I had a friend who did this in, like, 10th grade. He would rent the Salem Elks Club. He would hire someone to fucking work the door, right? Yep. And that was basically it. Get them in for free and be like, don't steal anything. Yeah, and just, like, collect money. Money, yeah. You know, for people coming in because they didn't sell tickets in advance that I remember. But, you know, same thing as you just a little bit later. Um, I'm a little younger, but I would never would have thought of that in high school. I don't know if he paid them back later or if he had the money to mm -hmm. to pay for it in the moment. I don't know how much it costs, but I think it's really special. Like you need those people like yourself or this dude I went to school with to, yeah. to put these shows on in the first place. So I did everything from forgery to like mild intimidation. Like, <laughs> I mean, like sometimes they'd be like, oh, you need insurance and i'd be like all right i'm gonna go find like an insurance form and like just write this up and just you know that's the kind of stuff i would do to get shows going would you, would you just go to like the lab and like make up some bullshit form kind of thing yeah dude for real dude i was in graphic arts class so right. i mean i mean i guess i can say it right now like 10 year fights last show like that insurance form was completely forged i'm so glad nothing ever happened I'm so glad nothing ever happened. I mean, some of my friends actually got hurt. Like, one of my friends actually went to the hospital because he broke his shoulder. I'm so glad you didn't sue me. Thank you, Ben. Really, well, really even that, if I break my shoulder at a show, I'm not going to sue. You're not going to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess I mean, I mean, guess today's day and age, people would find a way to do that. But you know what I mean? That's like kind of like enter at your own risk, I think. But to your point, it's definitely like a, it's just a different special time. Things that you couldn't get away with anymore. Like going back to uh, putting on a show at that church in Cambridge. And then like nobody was there. Like it was just you right did they give you the keys like or they just someone just come and un unlock the door you know i don't even remember i mean there's definitely like a couple people involved but like i remember when the cops showed up <laughs> and they're like you gotta go talk to them and right. they were like wait you're in charge and i was like uh well i guess yeah they're like but you're a kid and i'm like yeah they're like you let people in with hockey sticks and i'm like but see officer you need to understand the kid with the hockey stick it's not the one that hit people with that hockey stick. Kid with the hockey stick was a really nice kid named Kevin. He's a singer of Hatchet Face. And he left the hockey stick there because he was playing hockey. And then he went to the show. Well, turns out it's a pretty good weapon. So don't let people into your shows with hockey sticks is really what I'm saying. Like, but I didn't know then, you know, at 15, I was like 16 or whatever. I don't know. Fucking... And I was friends with certain people who could be considered troublemakers at the time. And I thought, oh, they'll, they'll behave, right? You know, there's hockey sticks over there, but they'll behave and they'll, uh, you know, nothing's going to happen. Like, How'd that work out for you? I mean, dude, I was really <laughs> like, I mean, I definitely hit like a period where I was like, man, I really screwed up. 
bad on that one. Um, I just wanted kids to have an awesome time, man. I want to have like the best show Boston's had in like ever. People would be like, that's when Boston came back. You know, I really just, I really wanted that, man. Like I wanted to, to be part of that because I was there early on when I was a little, littler kid and I got to see stuff. And then things really like when the channel closed and, you know, the club that was next to it and like Bunratty's closed and there's a bunch of clubs closed and they were not going to have hardcore shows. So I was just like excited to be a part of my. I don't know, some kind of revival, I guess. Well, you sure were, man. And Tried. when you rented these venues, say like, so would they just collect the money after? Say it was a thousand bucks, but you're in high school. You probably just don't have a thousand dollars. Maybe you did. I don't know. No, I mean, we definitely didn't. And we definitely paid like half up front or something like that. How would you pull together, say 500 bucks at that time? I don't know. I mean, the thing is, I don't think I ever put up a penny because I never had money. So right. I don't think I ever did. I don't think I was ever part of it. I think um, it was like one of the other, one of the other girls I was working with. I, I'm pretty sure they were, you know, they were a couple of years older than me. They had apartments in service. I'm sorry, service, in Boston, okay. the apartments in Boston. So like maybe they had a couple hundred bucks, but yeah, I don't know. I really don't know. I was sweat, man. Like I was, I'm always sweat guy. Yeah. Like I will just work hard. I'll stay up all night. I'll print the flyers. I'll take on the risk. I'll talk to the cops. I'll call Stormy Shepard. That was my vibe, right? you know, but I was like, I told him, look, I'm, I live in Methuen. I have a shitty life. Like I don't have any money. I don't remember having much of a job back then. I don't know. I think it's just like did my zine and like did that with like, you know, questionable like Kinko's cards and stuff like that. <laughs> so yeah, I'm pretty sure like they put up the money and I mean, I remember at the end of the, the whole thing, we still had some money left over and I was like, the plan was for me to buy like a car. And I was like, of course it never happened. Of course. It was like, I was going to buy like a $500 car so I could do more shows so I could come to Boston more often and like scout out places, you know? So I could have been Matt Galley, you know, Matt Galley, I could have fucking came for your job, dude. I could have like owned, owned it. <laughs> No, but yeah. I just like that show right there definitely like turned me way off. It's like, I'm not going to do shows or somebody's going to get hurt. Of course I did, but right. Which you, know, you never want anybody to get hurt, but I don't know if I'm overthinking this, but it seems like you feel guilty about maybe that aspect of it. I don't know. It's like when you get into, you know, like get into any scene as a kid and then you're like, okay, well, things are not going the way I want. So I'm just going to run things and I'm just going to start my own little scene or my own little like venue or my own little, you know, I'm just going to do it my way. Like have no idea what i'm doing but i'm just gonna do it my way so i'm proud of that you know you should proud be. that nobody died yeah. uh kevin i really wish you didn't bring the hockey sticks i don't <laughs> know why you thought it was a good idea um, it wasn't an kevin idea williams. he literally was coming from hockey practice or something it's yeah. not right no actually it wasn't uh, kevin williams not the singer of uh hatchet face who was oh god now i'm missing off all the names but anyway he was the singer. it's okay face. you don't have to name yeah names. i mean like i'm psyched to do like a lot of sometimes people will hit me up like hey remember that shit like it was crazy but also there was like some stuff like the red barn that people are super psyched on like Dude, like, how cool is it that a band as good as Pieball came out of that direct area? Like, yeah, I mean, that's exactly or what Kaven, I think about a lot. So, like, converge. ridiculously good and converge. Ten yard five, just like three good. No, and I mean, cast iron hike, dude. dude. Yeah, I love cast well, iron but, hike. Like, but in all honesty, God, converge, cave in, and if we're gonna go like Massachusetts, right? Like, we'll go like unearth. I was just drinking beers with oh, Buzz this is fucking sick, last dude. night. He's amazing. <sighs> uh, and I love. Unearth. I'll kiss him on his face. Man, he's incredible. <laughs> 
<laughs> he's so uh, good. But bands like yeah, Unearth. Uh, but the truth Haven, is that Converge, yeah, 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 like like those bands and and like uh, and maybe even like Kill Switch Engage or like the, the bands that came related to them. They are so good. It's not normal. Like it's not normal to be like you know even Converge. Like I have a checkered pass of Converge. Was great friends of them. Kind of wasn't so great with them for a while. Whatever. Back and forth. But like the fact is that the Jake was like tattooed to his eyeballs when he was like 14 years old, and they started a band out of nothing and yeah they had some versions that were pretty weird and a little bit you know i'm glad they stuck with it <laughs> but they changed at the same time but they're so freaking good at a level and then again cave in so good at a level that's just like ridiculous as little kids you know like in the shadow of the bands like converge mm -hmm. and and I, and I think piebald was very much like that too they're sort of like in between they're sort of like converge and then piebald and then cave in's like right after and there's a point where piebald was certainly viewed as these kids who were just way too fucking good and they sounded weird you know they were on this like screamo thing that was like pre-screamo for real it was like sort of like an abolition records thing that was going on at the time you know everything was made of like cardboard like rough cardboard with like a paper with like a string that you'd close it that was like a vibe and they had that vibe and then like you know things like what happened where like travis is all of a sudden playing in cave-in and i'm like that happened right am i wrong that like travis can play that good of guitar that he can be in cave-in he's a that's, shredder that's freaking nuts man like you know how, how good brodsky and and um uh mcgrath are like they're insane good guitar players like, really good some of the best of you know probably on buzz mcgrath's level different style but totally. probably as good as him i would agree with that but also um there was seven percent solution right yeah so it was with, exactly with, what I was kurt thinking. travis and uh john sullivan was it just the three mm -hmm. of them or was there because travis was playing bass somebody. i know that at the time i have the, there's i got a seven inch of seven yeah. percent solution somewhere i think it's a yeah. piebald seven inch uh yeah. split but again just all these fucking sickos from that that area there was something in that fucking in that there was so prolific the merrimack river too. right it's, that's the yeah, thing they were right so prolific they were doing so much stuff can you uh what what i would like to ask you john yeah. is yeah maybe talk about when you met the piebald guys mm -hmm. memories from that time and and then like also if you factor in luke because he was in fast break and in my mm -hmm. eyes and like mm -hmm. so there's so much you could just talk about with, oh my god i could so. tell like so many piebald like evolution stories you know aaron and i left lived together for a while oh we're gonna get um, into that <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, you know, it's hilarious. I understood his talent when I lived with him because he was so, he would just like listen to the radio and then just like play a song and sing the whole fucking thing. Like, I don't think anybody knows that he does. He can do that, but he can do that. Um, So let me like, go very back. When I was uh like 14, 15, 16, 17, as a band called the Circus Puppies. And there was a, other bands, you know, Mike Gowell and Brian Plutz. And these guys were all in like a lot of bands after the fact. But we were like, you know, a high school band, you know, and we were just trying to figure it out. But we used to play at the beach all the time. Uh, Salisbury Beach. The Escape Club is what it's called. Now, like you're talking about 1993, like Death played there. Like the actual real, not the uh, Vermont ones, the Florida ones, Death Metal ones. So it was a weird place. And and we kind of built a scene around it. And that's when Converge started to come up. Uh, they were called Head First. They were called Undertow. They were called a couple other things. I got to um, say and, real quick, um, I had Kurt on here. Mm -hmm. and another time your name came up. Really? Amazing. Um, he told the story of how I actually had that in my notes um, because I wanted to make sure you got like a shout out. 
for that. Um, he gave me th- credit but, finally because they were called Undertow, and you yeah. were the one. He said, "I think there was a band, maybe Seattle." Unbelievable, dude! And he, he so remembered. Great. He so remembered great. like that you hit him up and was like, "Yo, there's another band." And, but he also said it was last minute, like they were about to print yeah. all the shit for their record. So yeah. then, like they had to come up with a new name real quick, and and that yeah, was... they were under T O E, and I was like, "Yo, there's an under T O W." I don't think they ever like asked me to be in the band. I think I might've just like kept showing up because I didn't have anybody else to play with at the time. Well, I wasn't like a, I wasn't um, a rap, a rap rock band also white boy rap attack, but that was like, that was a whole other thing. But um, yeah, so I just started playing with them. And then like, eventually we started like writing, writing originals and realized that blindsided was a very common name for a band. Um, so we changed it to undertow. We even like went as far went so far as just like start printing up like demo tape. We recorded as Undertow, started printing up. And actually, we recorded as Blindside, changed our name to Undertow, started printing up demo tapes with the name Undertow on them. And then John Lacroix from um, at that point, I think he was still in Circus Puppies, but you know, you other people would probably know him best from from um, Ten Yard Fight, but he was in a bunch of bands. Um, he called me up, was like, "Hey, I just saw this zine. There's a band from Seattle called Undertow." Um, I don't think we ever played a show with Undertow, but I think I had talked to John and like said we were changing the name or something. I don't remember exactly what happened, but like he he figured out that there was this other band named Undertow who you know now we're friends with those people. But um, but it's a good you know it's a good thing that he caught that. Um, and we just we were like you know the demo tape was like going to press and we needed a band name, and so we uh, came up with Converge pretty quickly. And um, you know, and I guess the rest is the rest is history. You know, look, I don't know what happened between Kurt and I, like somehow like egos got involved and like, we just didn't really hang out as much anymore. But way back in the day, like we used to talk on the phone all the time and I knew he was a talented person, you know, like I knew like, you know, I, I liked him a lot. And then, yeah, he said this thing about undertow. And then one day he said, Hey, converge. I was like, yeah, that's good, dude. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. I was like, what does it, I was like, what does it mean? He's like, mean, it's like come together. I was like, Oh. yeah that's the one dude um i didn't mean to like fuck up your flow there can you tell me yeah yeah so So at that time it was all about us like either gathering around the skate park or in north andover um you know jake i don't think he was ever a skater kurt was definitely not i don't think any of those dudes really did but aaron stewart did i met aaron stewart first and i swear i met him at like the parking lot in front of like papa gino's in like north andover you know what i'm talking about and i met him there and i can almost describe the whole thing i had a girlfriend at the time she was a couple years older than me she had like a red cabriolet and i was like acting like i was like the driver of the cabriolet for sure and i was like come on in Aaron, like sit down next to me and like let's shoot the shit yeah yeah but they started playing you know basements and i was always there to watch and i mean like i said they had this very like proto proto screamo like they almost had to invent a little bit of it it wasn't very you know catchy but it was the time that i guess alex joined is probably when they played um bill's bar yeah they played bill's bar 
and what's the white album with the with amazing shots of the the rock the, revolution the, the one with the um you know like super panoramics that like jeremy and, and claire shot the photos right we're the only friends me. we have right. that one yeah, yeah that one yeah that one yeah, that, yeah. Fucking that, one. Yeah. that album i don't remember shit. when that okay. album came out they played bill's bar and i felt like i was honestly watching van halen it was so perfect and it was so powerful and this is when they used to rock the um they first started rocking the volume pedals so they had these like parts that would like swell into this like distortion and then they would just like come in super hard and i think like alex helped that part come out of them that like dynamic part of them and once they got that i thought they should be bigger than pavement is what i thought i don't know why i thought pavement but they should have been bigger than jawbreaker because they were that good you know like there's yeah. that christmas show years and years ago i can't remember when i don't know if it was a middle east it kind of been the middle east it was a it was a hall i remember because i ran i ran oh, yeah. merch and um one of the things i put was um uh kisses free and they all wanted to kiss aaron stewart not me so who doesn't want to kiss aaron stewart yeah. imagine putting that sign up now Trouble. like post covid or whatever yeah and well just for me a lot too. of reasons yeah yeah, it's like <laughs> yeah, too much. yeah exactly uh, <laughs> yeah i don't know though i mean it's kind of like a nice thing okay here's a question fuck this i'm interviewing you okay aaron or <laughs> travis make out you have to make out with them. Oh God, that's like gun to my head. I have like, like no, like. You also have to enjoy it. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, it's impossible. <laughs> make out with. I mean, like a full make out. Like not a full make out. Like third, like sixty seconds. Like with tongue. Passionate. I will let it be known that I don't want to do either. But all right, I'll say it at the same time. Ready? For sake of the quote, oh, on three. So, we, so, so it's like on so three. One, One, two, two three. three. Travis. Travis. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. That was oh, good. Oh my god. Oh man. That's funny. I was with Stewie once and he thought he was licking somebody else's hand. He licked mine. It was fucking <laughs> Well, I will have you know. I thought that... I was making a joke and I was like, I kinda like that, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting off the rails here, John. Yeah, yeah. just kidding. <laughs> it's a kind of. Yeah, but, so Travis is the one we make out with. I don't want to make out with Travis, but based on your scenario there, yeah. and if I have to answer the question, yeah. But, yeah, but Travis tastes more like whiskey. Well, definitely more now because Aaron doesn't drink anymore. But Exactly. Anyway. So basically what you're saying is there's no era where you would make out with Aaron Stewart. I mean, there's no era where I would make out with Travis either, except for in, in this hypothetical scenario. You know what I'm saying? But I will have you know, John LaCroix, that, well, maybe I should say it after, because we never even finished that little segment. Hold on. Yeah, so the the, the best thing, though, so Alex was great in Piebald. Like, he was really great. But there's there's something about Luke that just fits even better. Yeah. You know, like, Luke's an incredible drummer. I knew him since he had dreadlocks. He's so You know, Fast Break was incredible. Yeah. Uh, The 120 bucks, that stuff. Yeah. Oh my God! Big on Big Wheel record, Bit Rama put it out. That record is incredible, and he sounds so good. I mean, in my eyes, what the fuck? How do you do three bands that good in a row? Three bands that good, where you're that good of a drummer, where like I remember every like fill and every hit. You know, hardcore drummers. There's a lot of really good ones. There's some ones that stand out, but like he really is like one of my favorite drummers. So good. So. Back to you, John. Ten yard fight. You're around this table. Was that Mission Hill, the place Jake was talking about? Where, where yeah, you guys like lived I don't remember. You know, like I don't know if Jake was physically there, but he would come around, and I would take pictures of Castor and Hike and stuff, and I would help them with their layouts. And I mean, we just sat around and we thought, okay, this would be funny to like make a band that's like a concept band. That'd be hilarious, you know, straight edge concept band. It's just like about you know, well, there's already this so- this hockey one, so why don't we just kind of like make fun of that and just be like a football one? 
And like, we didn't realize that 10 yard fight is the name of the Harvard fight song from like 1930 something or whatever. So it just kind of worked out. Wow. That was, of course, as we learned about it, we thought, oh, it kind of like fits all together. But, you know, some dude had an, apparently this dude, Weird Al, that we used to skate with, had an idea of starting it and he gave it to Popolardo, told Popolardo about it. And then we just fucking sat around one day and we made stickers before we had a lyric or anything like that. We were like, okay, we need to go into my room and we need to lay this stuff out. So I became, I think I was, you know, 33 and a third. Popolardo was like double zero. Oh no, no. Wrench was double zero. Popolardo was like another funny number, 21 or something. And, uh, you know, we just had this concept and I think we had nicknames. Like I forget what my nickname was, like the center or something like that. Something stupid like that. But it was a complete stupid joke. And the only thing that made us think twice about it being a joke is that show at the Red Barn where like, why do people think this is cool? Like we were trying to like, you know, bum everybody out kind of, but how bad we suck. And it's <laughs> yeah. like, we didn't suck that bad. So I guess, you know. Well, going back to your first show ever, didn't you show up in like football gear, like shoulder pads? Oh yeah, totally, like... totally, totally. Yeah. Wrench you had set like. the scene for me. Yeah. So it was the Red Barn. Oh, so um, that was the first show. That was show, the, the Red Barn. Barn. That was the first show. Okay. So Cave-In was barely getting started. Piebald was definitely getting started. They're probably the ones with the, the following at the time. And, you know, we get on the show and we made the flyers. So, you know, we made us look like we're the fucking biggest band you know like we never had played anything i have this flyer um, it was a picture of like a center snapping a ball maybe yeah like that kind of shit yeah um, and i, mean, I think it said 10 yard flight like it does look like you were headlining. yeah it looks like we're the headline <laughs> so we said we'll make it well we're the flyer so we'll just make it and then so we did things like uh I think we had four or five songs. We like played like songs like more than once. I think like for real. Like, well, we definitely played uh, "Cross Me," which is like that little like goofy song on the Project X song uh, Seven Inch. It's like literally like three seconds or something. So we played that like twenty times. That was like the funny thing. It was like, oh, here we go, play again. And you know, people thought it was funny. They you know ran around. I can't remember if we had T-shirts. Probably we did because like Rama wouldn't have like let it happen without like us going with everything. You know, I'd be like, okay, I'm gonna get us, uh, I'll get us all football outfits and uh, I'll get Wrench a helmet. And then, then like I'll get uh, football cards and we'll throw them out, and then we'll we'll get a we'll get a paper thing. And you guys will jump through it. Like Rama, it's the fucking red barn. Yeah, but that's no, awesome. Gonna, be like, no, we're gonna do it for real. That's so. Rama awesome. would do shit like for a while. Rama was on our favorite, one of our best guys. He would literally wrap his arms in toilet paper so he would look like he was wearing football outfit, and then he would go and fucking stage dive. Like I never saw Rama stage dive except for at our shows, dressed nice. as a football player. He made it. He hand drew a banner with marker or something. You know, that's right. Nerd fight and it's like jump through it. Like, okay. Awesome. Awesome. Fuck yeah. You know, so he did shit like that all the time. It's funny. It's like you like bought a hundred footballs. Okay. Fuck it. Throw them out. <laughs> you know, like uh, that was Bedford, New Bedford Fest. I think it was, you know, Le we just legendary hardcore festival. Oh, that thing was, am that was amazing. Yeah. That was where like the kid jumped off the uh, balcony during lifetime, like broke somebody's head or front flipped off that. He broke someone else's head. Yeah, it was. Oh, I don't know God. what happened to the person, but that was it was stopped. And I remember people being like, "Dude, what are you doing?" What were you oh thinking? my God! Yeah, I jumped. That's terrible, even for him. Like, imagine yeah. living with yourself if you did that. Yeah. I would never forgive myself for that. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's. I remember oh, the God. Mike McCarthy jump where he's jumping off the balcony at like the trouble, or was it trouble or the panic, or I forget what show it was. But I don't know. It was, it was at like one of the churches, and, and that one was a scary one. But this other one, I remember watching it like the dude like, oh, he's climbing. Oh, he's gonna. Oh, fuck. Like, and then just seeing the flip and then seeing mm. the, the leg snap. Leg snap? What? Well, just the way it like, you know, way the flip lands, the leg. Kind oh, of so he, he snapped he did like a front leg? flip. He did kind of like a front flip, right? Yeah. And the way you kind of land, it's like that very like, they I mean, he up. landed on somebody's head and his neck. God. It was like. Yeah, you know, like, because there are times where I want to stage dive, not even, not piebald, but like other shows where people are doing it and like, I don't want to hurt anybody. Or even I've like joked about throwing my drumstick, well, half joked about throwing my drumstick into the crowd. And Luke's like, you can 
it hurts that somebody. Hurts. But, yeah, I mean, the, like there's but. people in Boston, like it was like Jenny Boston. She broke her neck. Like somebody stage dive on her. She broke her neck. Or they broke her neck. Or Dude. you know, stage dive broke her neck. Oh, that's terrible. But you know, but like please, that kind of stuff happens. Please go on though. Um, so tenure fight, like um, yeah, I'm just the most ADD person, so I'll just go this, on. That makes two of us, brother. Um, tenure fight, like yeah. So I mean, like you know, we did that. We played that show at the Red Barn. Um, we kind of like went back, like what was that? Like is that was that serious? Like are they dumb? Are they deaf? Like did they hear us play? Like we fucking suck. And then like a couple of people would come up, like actually it was like it had a kind of something we were missing like kind of like this like this, we don't give a fuck vibe that everybody seemed to be kind of caring too much about certain things like which is funny is like caring too much about image or caring too much about you know genre or something like that like going with the genre because back then it was like it was this screamo thing was just about to, to take over the whole world so we just thought we'll just do the absolute opposite we'll sound like a band that nobody wants to hear and the fact that it worked <laughs> is crazy but you know at the same time like somebody said to us you know a few months later like hey there's this band and that just came out with a demo and in New Jersey called Floor Punch. I'm like, okay, what's that sound like? It's like, oh, it has a football player on it. It's like, oh, let's check that shit out. Like, oh, it's it's happening. You know, like it's happening. Like me, I grew up, I just want to sound like a like Youth of Today or Agnostic Front or I just want to sound like something like that. But the you know? fact that you didn't like take it serious, I, I there's so many, there's countless projects or, or bands that start that way, like as a side thing or just like mm-hmm. as a joke. Mm-hmm. Dashboard Confessional, Chris Carabo was in Further Scenes Forever. He just did, yeah. that, was a, that was a side thing and now now look at him. You know, um, just one example. It's obviously special, of course, but. Super special, but 10 Yard Fight was special. Like you I said, know. if we let somebody talk us out of that stupid idea, we never would have gotten any of this. You know, it's just incredible to think that you could come up with something so, that's such a fucking stupid idea and then and you guys uh, went on like i always do a quick wikipedia thing just to like maybe mm-hmm. have something cool to bring up and um you went to europe and like canada maybe elsewhere too but mm-hmm. um puerto rico you, was a big deal oh, that was kind of fun that's in the wikipedia thing too those were like yeah, it says something like i broke my back or something yeah like it that. said it says permanent damage actually <laughs> i mean it's sort of true i had bad back because of skateboarding and stage dives and stupid shit for all my life uh and at, at the time I was also doing a lot of jujitsu and Steve ready from equal vision is a total fucking jock. Like he's like straight up, like he's a wrestler. He's like a multi athlete, Iron Man type of dude. And he went with us and, you know, we were just goofing. And I was like, you know, I started jujitsu because of Ray Capo. He's the one who got me hooked on it. He was the one I was like, I was like, Hey, I read this thing about some guy named Gracie. And he's like, yeah, like that's what I've been doing. I said, Oh, that's what you've been doing. He's like, Oh yeah. Like you should come to New York. So that's how it kind of started. When I went to uh, Puerto Rico, the other band who had gone before, for us was Shelter. There's like one other band. I think AF played like shortly after that too. And fucking wrestling with Steve Reddy, like out in front of a thing. Dude is a monster. And he like tweaked my back and I just was like, Ugh. And I had that like, you know, I don't know if you ever like thrown out your back bad, but like when it hits you, like it hits you like a lightning bolt and you're like, okay, I, I now have. I'm over. Now yeah. I'm done. Yep. And so it hit me like that. And so that was right before the first show. So the first show they like had to like bring me up on stage, like carry me sort of mm. couldn't really move. And uh, I did my best, you know, I played two shows. You're an animal for even getting through that playing those shows. Oh. I mean, it's your spine. That's no joke, <laughs> you know? Oh yeah. Well, I have sciatic. I have two uh, degenerated discs that are just yeah. up from skateboarding and stuff like that. I also. So at the time like similar stuff yeah you know but i was also like shit man like i did a tournament with my back blown out because i just had to like i basically had to not lose one really weak fight and that's what did, i did you know did you not lose yeah i just fucking you i won. didn't win that's for sure i didn't oh, well, i mean yeah. i mean 
win at one. But you didn't lose. But like, I didn't lose, you know? Yeah, man. I was like, I was like, fuck it, man. Like, these kids, man, they're so cool. Do you Show. still do the jujitsu? Yeah, I try. I mean, like, it's been a bazillion years that I started it. And I, like, I got so hurt so many times. And I've had, like, periods of time where I've just, like, been a workaholic for, like, 10 years at a time. And Life. Yeah, life. But yeah. I did, you know, I did, <laughs> I did jujitsu. I did Muay Thai, and I went to Thailand, did some Muay Thai, I did some jujitsu in Japan, and uh, got, got beat up in a lot of those places, like pretty seriously. <laughs> and they put you in your place. Oh, dude, Thailand! They kicked the crap out of me. <laughs> they probably had a fucking oh field day with your punk dude. ass. <laughs> they were just laughing at me. So, dude, Thailand is a place where they have like a game that's like much like volleyball, but they play it with their feet, and it's like the same net. I don't want to stereotype, but like Thais will kill you. Yeah. They are the most most athletic people on the face of the earth, I think, next to like, I don't know, maybe New Zealanders or something. They were, I went, I saw some fucking rugby shit, and those guys were gnarly too, you know? Like, totally. But yeah, yeah, they kicked the crap out of me. Got a That's nice cool, elbow though, to man. the face one time. That was good. I took karate. I mean, it was, I was a kid, but I did it with my dad, Shotokan, you know, nice. which is, yeah, I mean, it's real karate. It's like real combat karate. Totally. 100%. Yeah. Uh, Good way but, to get your nose broken. Oh, yeah. Your toes, too. Like. Your toes. Anything that sticks out. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. That stuff's um, cool, man. Like, it's weird. Like, you know, Ray Kappa was into it and Harley Flanagan was starting to get into it. And then, like, a couple dudes in Philly knew it a little bit. And it just seemed cool to me, you know? And it can really ground you as a human and, like, just have this impact on everything else you do in a really good way. The simplest way to put it, breathing is so important in martial arts. Mm -hmm. Like, my, I remember my instructor, he, if you, if you had your mouth open, he, he would stop, he would close his mouth, point at you, and yep. point at his lips because he wouldn't let anybody not only breathe through their nose. Breathing is everything. It's power. Power. Yeah. Adds power to it. Yes. Everything. Isn't it kind of like hardcore? Like somebody totally. yelling fucking go and you're getting psyched. Totally. That's, yeah, I never even thought about that. You're I right. I mean, I always thought it was like that, you know, I really. Totally. I mean, first of all, you're probably karate kicking in the fucking pit anyway, so you might as well. <laughs> so, dude, I have to ask John LaCroix. I know that you were involved in this uh, amazing thing that, a special thing that happened in Boston. <laughs> there was a ESPN 30 for 30 podcast episode on it. It's still my favorite podcast episode I've ever listened to for any show. And for those who aren't from Boston, uh, just to introduce it. So there were these t-shirts. It was a movement, really. The t-shirt said, Yankees suck. My dad took me to a game when I was in like seventh grade, like 1999. Mm -hmm. Okay. He took me to a game at Fenway and bought me one of those shirts. Wow. I could have bought it off you. Maybe I bought it off Luke. Thanks for the, <laughs> you know, yeah. who, who knows? Um, a lot of money. Yeah, of course. But like, it's really hard to explain the full thing. Uh, go just to your podcast thing and search yep. Yankees suck and it'll come up. I mean, there's, there's a lot of stories about it. There's different versions of the story, but the simplest version of the story is, is like most of us grew up seeing a Yankee suck shirt once in a while. Way back in the day, like I remember when I would go to, you know, Red Sox games, my uncle when I was like a little kid. I mean, like he was passionate about fuck the Yankees, fuck New York City was he was very like that. And it was like toxic for a little kid. But we knew that kind of phrase existed or it, somebody had said it or whatever. So fucking Ray comes over and he says, hey, I want to make like some fucking like limited edition shirts for your fucking show. Oh, OK, fine. What do you want to do? So let's make Yankee suck. I said, All right, fine. Let's do it. So I made a Yankee suck T-shirt logo based off of like the generic like hard core like 
you know, white on black, black on white. Because the original one, if you look on eBay, you'll find it. Ten-yard fight Yankee suck shirt. It'll say ten-yard fight on the back in the same scheme as the original Yankee sucks logo. You know that that alternating thing. So it says like ten-yard fight. I think it says like the date and then like karma or something like that. Uh, I got it right here. It was the date is October seventeenth, nineteen ninety-nine. Yep. There you go. Okay. So to set the scene for people who aren't from Boston, you got Fenway Park. It's the right Red Sox there. are in the American yeah. League Championship Series, which is against right the before Yankees, the World Series against the, the Yankees, the biggest rivalry in sports, yes. at least in this country. Yes. And right behind the Green Monster, which is you know that left field wall, yep. is Lansdowne Street. On Lansdowne Street, you got now the House of Blues. Used to be the Avalon. You have the yep. Axis, and you have just a street of clubs, including uh, Bill's Bar and the one you played at, the Karma Club. So, but basically, right behind that wall, and Ten Yard Fight was playing its last show ever at that time. Yep. Right? Last show As ever. As the game was on. And the Red Sox hadn't won the World Series since 1918. People used to chant 1918. Like Yankees fans yep. would chant that. Yep. And we didn't have anything else back to say as fans. Yankees suck. Yankees like suck. That was all we had. USA at like a president or something. <laughs> yeah. But Yankees <laughs> suck was a thing. You'd be playing the fucking the Oakland A's or, or like the Pirates and the chant would still come out. Yeah, Yankees know. suck. I know. I remember this as a kid and me and my dad leaving a game one day. There were people on the streets selling these Yankee suck t-shirts. My dad bought me one. But I will hand off the torch from here. So 10 Yard Fight's playing that last show. You made these Yankee suck shirts with the date on the back. Please go ahead. So like, I think there's there's definitely a picture of like Ray like walking around with them all, acting like he's like in a, a street vendor. But I mean, there was 36 of them. They get sold, and then the next week he was like, "I'm gonna make more. We'll just take the tenure fight off it. They'll print for like two bucks." And I mean, it was like a flash, like blinked our eyes, and all of a sudden, like there was like crews of people going out doing it every Red Sox game, and it was such a fun thing to do because you know it'd be like the summer, and you'd be like hanging out on Lansdowne Street or hanging out on the bridge, or even like at shows at the Rad or something like that like so it's just a fun thing to do man just like hang out and sell t-shirts to like townies don't tell yeah. the irs but yeah. i know i know an alleged number of profit i want to hear that offline for sure yeah well i mean I, i'm fuck it i mean who cares no one's gonna come after him but i think a million dollars was made so in this podcast episode spoiler alert i mean you can go listen to it for details but the woman who was like kind of like doing a recap at the end she lowballed this number yep very lowball and it was it was over a million i forget the exact number but she kind of put it simply and yeah, it was easily a million because so it was every single home game, right? And again, the Red Sox were good for the next few years, right? We won in 04. We were good that whole time. So these games were selling out. So you got full Fenway Park crowds. And I brought this up to Luke and Aaron from Highballed once uh, on Luke's porch without knowing they had any involvement. Just like, you guys ever hear this podcast? And they're like, no, but we we were the ones selling those shirts. So, you know, I was like, oh shit. But like, Insane there's stories amount. of like running from the cops or, or other people were making those shirts and you had to like kind of... Yeah. Yeah, well, like they would like somebody would come in and try to bootleg them and they'd look like crap. And then they would just they'd go bully them for sure. I was like lazy. I would never go out and like sell them. I was like, go hang out and like go back home early, you know? Oh, but, so like, you never, um, you never went on. Oh, like... I was never a salesman. No, 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 never. I would make the designs. Like, so we did like everything. I made, I made some money for sure. I made Good. the website. We did it. We sold online a little bit. What was it called? The sucksguys.com. <laughs> Dude, you also don't know that when they moved to New York City, there was plenty of Boston suck shirts sold in New York City. From you guys. Yes. Dude, that's double dipping. That's fucked up. It's yeah. brilliant, but man, you know, traders. No loyalty. In the podcast episode, like towards the end, it talks about how 9 11 really changed everything and like definitely like impacted um, yeah. that entire operation. Yeah. But, and those uh, guys went to Iraq. 
Ray and Jeff took the money and went to Iraq. And then I was doing Swindle Magazine at the time, uh, which Roger Gassman and, and Shepard Ferry, we had a magazine together that was like too expensive for most people to buy. So it didn't really work out as well as, as we expected. But the second episode or issue, I was like, Ray and Jeff are in Iraq. Like they should write an article about this. So they wrote an article. And then one day somebody from Creative Artists called me and said, hey, uh, can you get me in touch with Ray and Jeff? And I was like, those idiots? Like, what are you talking about? Like, yeah, I guess. They're like, yeah, we want to talk to them about a book. So, okay. So I gave them the number and, you know, they made a book. They wrote a book. Right. It was called Babylon with Bus. It came out. Then they sold that to Mel Gibson as a movie option. Oh, wow. And then Mel Gibson got in trouble for like being kind of racist or whatever he was doing. And then the whole deal got shut down. And that's the history of the whole thing. The other thing is about that money. That was a million dollars cash. It was every, all cash. Every bit of it was like gambled, poker games every night. They would just gamble it. It was just like, oh my God, they just wasted it. Dude, they would like blow their nose with t-shirts and just throw them in the trash. Like they didn't care at all. <laughs> it's fucking ridiculous. They did not care at all. To set the scene even a little bit further, I guess, it got to a point where there would be a crew of at least 10 people per Red Sox game. So you would have 10 people all at like, you know, neighboring areas of Fenway yeah, Park. Every so exit. they literally owned that whole, like Fenway is an actual neighborhood in Boston. A lot of people don't know that. That's why it's called yeah. Fenway Park. They owned that whole neighborhood. And that's where like a Luke from Piebald or Aaron, cause those guys, they would get like a bag of shirt. I don't know, yeah, say, it was, say what, a hundred shirts? Yeah, they would have bands a... would do it all the time. They'd be like, "Oh, you're coming through." I remember Ray brought like one of the dudes from Save the Day, like snuck him into the Red so into a Red Sox game. They walked out, you know, onto the fucking mezzanine. A ball fucking pops up, and the Save the Day kid catches it in his fucking bare hand, and then they just walk out and leave. A... Like they snuck in wow. and did that. So that was the kind of, like so bands <laughs> would come through, like or people would come from California. A lot of people came from California. We had a lot of friends there, and they'd be like, "Hey, we need to make some money for like a couple of weeks. Like I'm gonna go stay in Boston, so can I sell shirts?" And they would just do it. I think it, I don't know, somebody showed up with a gun or something like in, in the house. And I think that's how it all ended. Oh, no, that, that how it ends is real bad. I mean, something that, about I weed know. or robbery well, or something. Yeah, I mean, like, I think I'd already moved to California, like before that happened, a few months before that happened. Yeah, there was this guy, Todd, and I don't know what he was doing. He was selling weed or something. I mean, if you were the type of person who would shoot somebody, you could probably look at these kids and be like, wait a second, why do these kids have so much money? And I think that's what happened. You know, like he had some deal going on on with somebody and they were like give me the money and the kid was crazy and he was like no or something and but yeah i mean like he got shot in the face it's not really related to the whole yankee suck thing aside from the fact these guys were like running around with tons of money and you know they all have watches they all had very fancy watches you know they were all had rolexes or stuff like that and you know they were living in roxbury and roxbury was rough back then so yeah man i was already in california so i'm like i'll tell you what like i got a call like hey it's gone too far you know they weren't being safe in the episode at the end and because it explains why they stopped i didn't know he got shot in the face like i don't think shot it... like in his like mouth like jesus yeah he, like it... he died no no he's, he's he's fine he's fine that's todd no he's good he's um but like Fuck, that sucks, i don't know if though. he's like that's... the same person there's no way uh, you, you know can't i don't be. know you can't like know. yeah i mean like timmy tim from from american nightmare and maybe az lived there for a second a couple other people and yeah i mean like they came home and he was like walking out of the the front door like covered in blood one of the car wow. somebody was coming home in a car and they were like ready to park in front of the house and this dude came out bleeding oh my god and they were like oh my god and if they yeah. hadn't done that he might not have survived Again, it wasn't like he was like some kind of big drug dealer. Someone knew they had money. He had like a Rolex. They wore like that kind of stuff. 
here's what I'm thinking, dude. I would like to go pee and refresh my beverage. Uh, mm. Does that sound okay? Yeah, do you yeah. Have, do you have I'll more go time? Get a drink, yeah, I'll go get a drink, Joe. Okay, yes. thanks, man. National Edge Day. Was was that also the same day? Just to like add to like how legendary this was. Okay, you started a holiday, National Edge Day. The whole Yankee suck thing that we just talked about became its own thing. But also support for ten yard fight on that bill. Correct me if I'm wrong. Was Bane reached mm-hmm. the sky in in my eyes, which Luke yep. was the drummer of in my eyes, <laughs> Luke of Piebald. So it's like yep. all full circle, right? Yep. Yep. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes fucking great sense. I mean, like, Benyard Fight was the original drummer of Bane. So that makes sense. Aaron Delbeck was our guitar player when we toured Europe. And, you know, he's been our guitar player when we reunited with, uh, for This Is Hardcore in 2018. And I'm pretty sure he would play with us again. Uh, now, oh, yeah. of course, he's in Be Well, which fucking rules. That band is incredible. Right, right. Oh, so yeah, good. Yeah, they're great. Yeah. yeah, I mean, speaking of legends, you and my piebald brother, yeah. Aaron Stewart. Yeah, he's the fucking best. You live together. Together oh for God, like a dude. year so when we play now we get two rooms two hotel okay. rooms right and oh, really? one is one room will be psychos um, well <laughs> close one room is travis aaron and me okay. and then the other room is always luke andy and then whoever we have doing like sound on that run Some... the room with me travis and aaron we call it insano dome we have a song about it and like this whole thing because me me aaron and travis so like we all have our moments but like we all party even when aaron doesn't drink he still parties yeah. you know yeah know. and then like the other room is like the adults we call yeah <laughs> and and we put the new guy whoever's doing sound because we don't want to scare them away so yeah, we put him in <laughs> <eat> him. <laughs> yeah what i sent in that text today to the piebald dudes i said Stuart and LaCroix living together. I think that's the original Insano Dome is what I was getting at. Tell me about it. Yes. I mean, like, first of all, we had a stand-up 10-yard fight video game, arcade video game in the kitchen. Me and Stewie would trade guitars a lot. We would, like, sell each other our guitars and stuff. And I was so awful at guitar, and but he was so good. And he would play, like, uh, Fountains of Wayne songs. Like, this is one Fountain Wayne song he played all the fucking time. He probably still knows it. It's, like, something like Dump the Cowboy or something like that. I fucking forget what the Wait. song is. Can you set the scene real quick though? So you were, where yeah. were you living? What year? Yeah. And- this is like 98 or 99 in Brighton. And we live with an insane dude named Lefty. Who- Who's Lefty? David. Was he in bands? <laughs> no, he's a crazy maniac that used to. So he was like as insane as, as you like, guys? No, no. He was on a level that was like, it was model psycho behavior. So this is like, like. He would dress up as like David Bowie and then like get a trumpet and then like walk through like some very bad neighborhood trumpeting in the middle of the night until someone tried to fight him and then he would like fight them. This is the real insane Dome. Yes, this was fucking insane. Okay. And then this guy named Skinhead Rob. Uh, and then my, uh, my girlfriend lived there a little bit too. And then there was this other girl that lived there for a little bit at a time. And I don't know if it's Stewie dated her. He might've actually dated her. Uh, he was a mechanic. He had a motorcycle. He tried to fix my fucking brakes once and almost killed me. Uh, and then he had to drive me to the fucking, to my work on his motorcycle. And he almost killed me there too. He was like the most popular guy in the world with girls for like a year. And it was like that year. Everybody was like, oh, Stewie. Oh, Stewie. Everybody loves Stewie. So he had a lot of girlfriends and he was just fucking wild dude. I don't remember like a lot of drinking. Like I didn't drink 
drink, obviously back then I was still straight edge. I don't think he drank even all that much too, but I, I don't think we ever, ever slept me and him. We never slept. So like, he would just be like singing, like, and he would like, you know, like you'd have the guitar on, he'd like kick your door down and he'd just be singing. You'd be like sleeping there with your girlfriend and he kicked the door down <laughs> and then he'd sing for you and then you fucking leave. And then like lefty would come over and like ask you for like a jar of peanut butter. Yeah. Say no dumb. Yeah, and say no dumb. Um, oh, man. He lost the phone, you know, back when you had a phone. Like a phone that would plug into the fucking wall. Yeah, but you know, yeah. you had like those cordless ones. Everybody had the cordless ones, which was like a fucking new thing at this time. Uh, or like not that new, but you know, he lost it. He just straight up lost it. There was just no more phone anymore. We just didn't have a phone. This is before cell phones. Yeah. So we lost the phone and we just <laughs> didn't have a phone. And like, that was it. He had to go to like Osco Drug and like get a phone from the like electronics aisle. Wow. Yeah. Where he lost the phone, I don't even, I don't, I don't even know. The world may never know yeah yeah but like he definitely like wrote songs there like i definitely like heard him in yeah. there like fucking around with shit and you know he would go on tour and come back and but at this time like 10 yard fight is still hot Bible taught it was like oh look at these fucking weirdos hanging out together you know like, man just like two weirdos like just making no sense but that was just like what was cool about it you know to be a fly you know, we on just, the wall we were, we were always just good friends and we didn't never we never um it never mattered that he was friends with a different group of people or i was friends with a different group of people yeah man you know? it's all because like i would go on tour and i'd be playing with these like, hardcore bands and he was like friends with these fucking emo bands and like you know knew some of them because of my zine or whatever but yeah. like it was definitely a different world and i th just love that it was we were able to come together and i think of you guys every time they play grace kelly i love the that, song dude. grace kelly with wings cool track one off of venetian blinds and and yeah. Uh, but yeah at the end stewart sings his verse and you know he gives a shout out yeah. to 10 yard fight he goes man. uh so what if it's in my eyes so what if it's in my <laughs> That's fucking, what does he say? Like, just like 10 yard fight. What's the thing? What's the line right before that? Just like Daniel Fi. Uh, it's like it's um, like the anthem part. So I put my socks on and now I'm back on track. Just like Ten Yard Fight. So what if it's in my dude. eyes? I literally got goosebumps right now. Wait, why did you guys why did you guys break up? Like what was the cause you were all still homies, right? So why'd you uh, call that the last just, show? To be honest, the last show was planned after we like fully broke up. We planned it very breaky uppy. But um <laughs> breaky uppy. Yeah, I mean like we just it was like months or a month or two between the actual breakup. I mean, did we broke up over stupid shit? we were just arguing and and you know we were just always bickering and you know it was like very like brothers like talking shit to each other all the time i wasn't trying to pry uh, just no, so no, no 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 okay. i mean the reality is this like we felt like it was not like a real band we never really felt like it was a real band yeah. Like it was never like something we could take far and far and far. We had some weird situations like, you know, Agnostic Front gave us a shout out to Epitaph and we went to an Epitaph meeting and we almost, we talked to them about being on Epitaph right before Converge did it. We almost did a tour with Pennywise, wow. you know, like those things would have probably propelled us a little bit further. Definitely. And we might've become more serious even, you know, maybe we would have been like a Pennywise kind of thing. But at the same time, I wanted to do my career. Everybody else had their kind of thing they wanted to do. And 
being the band wasn't the most important things in our lives. I mean, it was great. We loved it. I never felt like I was a fucking great musician. I never felt like I deserved to have what Piebald or any of these other bands like Converge or Cave In really deserve because they are true musicians. They are really great, you know? So I felt like, man, five years, four or five years, it's like, man, I'm just so lucky to have that. And then getting to play one show in 2018 for this is hardcore. Yeah, how was that? I'm so lucky, man. I'm so lucky. That's enough, man. I'm done. I think that bands that are still doing it consistently deserve it far more than me. What would it take to convince the dudes? They're less skeptical about shows than I am. They have come to me with shows and I've been like, nah, a few times. Yeah. Like we got offered a tour in Europe. We got offered a headline. I mean, right after the this hardcore shit, like the offers were everywhere. Dude. Was off the charts. Like, And you didn't getting... want to do it? I mean, well, I was freelancing and I was making a shitload of money at Apple. Like a week off was like a lot of money to me. Bro. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is the other guy's no, moving down. Care. You're the one that needs convincing. I'm just looking for something, like I said, that's not so <laughs> serious about 10 yard fight unites for one right. night and it's, it's so fucking and serious like i just want to be a fucking goofball about it i love that because that's what it all started as like a fun thing 10 yard fight toward europe mm. tell me about it what was your favorite like highlights whether it's related to the shows or maybe a day off that you had like where did you even go I mean, in europe? we showed up to like frankfurt we were on on a bus with hands tied which is like mouthpiece skies they were on equal vision one king down was like the opener opener like the full opener wow. which is hilarious because they're fucking huge now you know they've been huge for a long time all ecovision tour we went on the bus it was mat booked tour uh so we had like one of the marks there's like five marks at one point that all worked at MED. We had a fucking uh, bus driver that looks just like um, Phil Collins, who, like literally drive in a Speedo, like only. What? Like literally just a Speedo. <laughs> Just like Phil Collins. Yeah. So we kept laughing. I'm going, Phil, Phil, Phil. And he's like, why do you say Phil? Why do you say Phil? It's like, oh, we think you look like Phil Collins. He's like, he's my friend. Or I go, oh yeah, yeah. We like Phil too. He goes, no, no, no. He's my friend. We're like, what? He's like, no, I was a tour bus driver for Phil Collins. He's Amazing. my friend. So the bus driver for Phil Collins looks exactly like Phil Collins, <laughs> but all he wears a Speedo. Yeah. Yeah. Well, does he still do it? And does he still wear a speedo? I, so, I hope he does. I hope he does. I really, really hope he does. He's probably old as fuck by now. I mean, it's like 20 years later. I bet he's still crushing it. That so guy was like, Oh my God. He slept in the, he slept underneath. <laughs> Underneath that shit. You ever seen bus? that? Yeah. You ever seen that shit? I heard like a little room underneath. You sleep under there. Oh, like a little cabin. You mean? Yeah. Like, I have not, it's like, no. it's like I where have... you pack your bags in some of them. And he would just go climb under there like a little, like underneath the, underneath the bus. I didn't know that. Pull over and then he'd be like, oh, I'm sleeping now. You ever seen Japan? They have like those, they're like hotels, but you rent like a tube for the night. Been there. Almost got kicked out. In fact, we went to was just separate. No, I was just hanging out. Me and me and Jeff Newman went to Japan. I was kickboxing in Thailand and just jiu-jitsu in japan and That's um rad. we stayed with this dude who owned a record label this good friend of mine at sushi uh, he owns radical east records just like you know record label back there Sick. and we got there to japan and we're like all right where are we staying he's like well you don't have a hotel like no i was like this is tokyo like you better have a hotel i was like no we thought we were staying with you he's like oh i live in osaka i was like three hours away so he's like okay come with me so we went to this hotel first thing we did was get up the stairs to this like little capsule motel and there's a picture of a cop breaking a baton over a dude's head like cartoon dude's like running like this yeah. he's got tattoo on his back and i'm like what's that he's like no tattoos I'm like what do you mean no tattoos he's like you can't come in here if you have tattoos We're like sushi what the fuck are you talking about dude like well you're covered in tattoos like, right you're in trouble 
Fuck. So we went and then we, you know, took a nap. I would try to take a nap or whatever. I finally tried to take a shower and the shower is not a shower. The shower is a fucking straight up bathhouse. Not only is it a bathhouse, they're watching porn while they're taking a bath. All right. Define this particular bathhouse. So like the hotel, like, so you go down one floor yeah. from the capsules where you live like pods, like you live like you're in the matrix. Yeah. And then it's the bath floor. And the bath floor is like a fountain with like a thing that people sit on and everybody's just chilling there and they shower like they shower sitting like a little scrubby and like a bucket. That sounds great. I want to sit down every time I shower. Yeah. But when you look up, there's porn. Interesting. Yeah. So then finally a fucking dude grabs me. Because your tattoos. And then grabs my little key for my little capsule. It's like on your, you have like a little wrist with a key. It's like being like at, a bracelet. you know, it's like being at like the YMCA, right? Like yeah, you yeah. a locker. So I have like my locker key, grabs it, looks at it and goes, no, no, no. And it runs away. And I thought, oh, we're getting kicked out. So I run over and I go, Jeff, we're getting kicked out, dude. Like we're going to go. And then oh. the cops, they, or they, they never came. They actually never came. But, but he stole yeah, your key. Like, no, no, no. He just like pointed at it. It was like, took oh. the number down. And it was like, yeah, you, I got you. Damn. Like, you know, but it I was never, okay. Yeah, we survived. But yeah, like, of course, that is when I got the nightmare about missing my plane because oh. coming home from, so I went to jujitsu, trained jujitsu, went to the steakhouse, stayed at a dude's house. Jeff went somewhere to break his edge. He was like just starting to drink like on that trip, like on the plane, like two days ago, he started to drink. So he got himself drunk and passed out somewhere and he got on a plane to Bangkok and I did not. His drunk ass got on the plane. I did not. I left my gi in a laundromat. So I had to go to the laundromat to get my gi. And then I missed my plane. And for years, I had the nightmare about missing my plane from Japan to Bangkok. Interesting. Wow. Full fucking circle. From, have, like, the first that time. is very much full circle from yep. when we first started talking and i could ask so many questions off this i must choose wisely here what happened after you fucking missed the plane what'd you do so this is like before cell phones were really a thing he made it to bangkok i didn't i just like didn't know what to do i went to like hotmail and like wrote him a message on email hotmail. from yeah like literally like some shit like that you know well, like sent was... him an email and he checked it out and said i'm in bangkok next day and i met him what was in bangkok like another tournament so we went to japan together we hung out in japan he was gonna go to bali i I was going to go to a kickboxing camp in Thailand. He didn't want to learn kickboxing. Okay. So he went right. to Bali by himself. I went to Chiang Mai, went to Northern Thailand. So you were fine. You said it just cost another 300 bucks. I think you said earlier. Yeah. It was like something like that. But what was crazy. I mean, like you think about 300 bucks to fix my flight in Thailand. My motorcycle was 30 bucks. My hotel was 30 bucks for the month. $1 a day. Yes. $1 a day. Well, each like, so it was like six, literally total of 60. Got me wow. a bike and uh, a hotel. Wow. What year was yeah. this? 2000, dude. It's 2000. You spent a whole month there. What yeah. was that like? Like, right? Um, Amazing. Was it a, like a proper motorcycle? Um, again, no, so it was like questions. a moped. It was like a tiny oh, little like a scooter. moped. Yeah. And like, I crashed okay. into somebody's SUV once and I had to give him 20 bucks. He was happy? Yeah. It was like, I crashed into it and left a big old dent on his thing because I just don't know how to drive a motorcycle. It was just awful at it. Weird as shit, though, though. I was there in Thailand. So I'm kickboxing, right? Like, I'm like fucking punching some shit. And I hear, well, you don't, oh, man, you're too young for this. But MTV used to have a VJ called or used to have a show called uh, 120 minutes uh before it was called postmodern mtv so postmodern mtv 120 minutes was like the headbangers ball but like with a cure on it and the host was this guy dave kendall british guy and i'm at the kickboxing camp and i'm punching the fucking shit and i hear hi i'm dave kendall it's a fucking british voice like why did he just say what and I, like i had this weird like like i felt like i was like transported to another time and then i like walk over to him and i'm like kind of like you know, shuffle over to like where he's kickboxing. I'm like, hey, uh, is your name Dave? It's like, yeah, yeah, it's, yes, Dave. Yeah. I go, you're that Dave. He goes, oh, fuck. Me, the 
fuck. Like, I'm like, dude, you're that fucking guy. You're the fucking postmodern MTV guy. You like know Johnny Lydon and like he interviewed like everybody, everybody, The Cure, like right, Joe right. Strummer, alternative music when there was like not even a thing. It was like just right. becoming a thing. Legend. So this guy was like a real legend. Yeah, he was cool though. The way you said it, I thought like he was like, oh fuck, like he didn't want to be recognized. Well, of course, I was like, a complete Punisher immediately, <laughs> right? Like, like, okay, so tell me like what Ian Brown is like. Tell me what like Liam Gallagher is like. I really was punishing him. Yeah, but you have your own like charm, man. I bet, I bet he liked you. Well, we were we hung, we hung out. We would just go to bars and he would drink. There you go. Not drinking. That's fucking awesome. Yeah, we go to bars and you know cruise around. And he was yeah, he became a pretty good friend actually. That's pretty cool. really fucking yeah. incredible. Yeah, but oh, in the man, beginning, so. I was like, you need to tell me all about Johnny Rotten. I need to know. Dude, that was like me with Piebald. It's ironic that I play the cowbell in the song, The Stalker, because I was borderline <laughs> stalking them yeah. uh, for a while, but they didn't even let me, and I would just find a way into the, yeah. <laughs> the green rooms. I just like wasn't good at reading the room back then. I know like Andy would be laughing at this. He's probably listening, but I would just be so annoying like because I just didn't like get it, and I would just be like, hey, Travis, talk about that B-side you did from fucking 20 20- <laughs> He's just trying to chill out before a show, and I was just oh like, God, just I was just like nerding out, you know. Um, yeah. but they they saw something. They knew I was a good guy. But let me ask you this, dude. Um, we haven't talked about the straight edge thing at all, other than like, we mentioned the holiday that you yeah. started. You started yeah. a holiday, yeah, um, which is still a thing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I guess so. Yeah. Everybody's so, doing it, yeah. um, I know that you broke edge, like you're drinking yeah. whiskey now. And cheers, by the way. Yeah, a little bit every now and then. That was a big thing. Like people used to literally fist fight over this shit, and you guys yeah. were obviously big in that scene. So, can you talk? about like straight edge and what it meant to you at that time yeah Yeah. and and like breaking edge you know i think this topic is best with like total normals like when you're like there's like wait so how were you as a kid or how were you in high school like what'd you do uh you know i don't have to explain like the like traveling to cbgb's or any of that shit because that was weird enough with most of the people but when they were like so you i don't even know what that means well it's like you know like i would be you know, I'd go to high school and they'd be like, so what'd you do this weekend? Like I fucking went to the football game and I'd be like, well, I went to CBGB's in New York city. Oh, okay. You know, I'd be like 14 years old and you know, or 15 years old. And I'd be talking about going to trips and stuff. How'd you get there? Well, back in the day, we would go to New York city on the Fung Wa bus, nice. whatever, like the 10, you know, the $10 Chinatown bus. Cool. And we'd go to skate. Usually is what we would do. Uh, Anthony Mareski's sister moved there at one point and we would go visit once in a while. Um, but we would just go and want to hang out in New York or, you know, we'd go to shows at Middlesex in New Jersey. I mean, go a lot of places that, you know, teenage kids didn't go to New Jersey from Massachusetts. Like right. none of my friends did that. Um, but then all of a sudden they'd be like, man, that's kind of cool. LaCroix, what the fuck? You like travel till you get fucked up. I'd be like, nah, dude, I'm straight edge. I'm like, what? Like, nah, dude, I like fucking looked for the nearest like health food store and like ate a bagel. That's all I did, you know? And I think like normal people who don't get it are like, wait, what? You did what? Everybody's an idiot in high school. How how is it that you became an idiot much later in life? Hmm. It's because like everybody has to be an idiot sometime. Like you have to just like let it flow, I guess. But it took me until I was 26. I was just like fully straight edge and went to California. I mean, even went on that trip to Japan. You know, I didn't drink. Um, I watched Jeff start to went to Australia and like people were like buying him beers and I was just like, hey, okay, here we go. Like, you know, just hanging around. And then I got home and I don't know what the hell happened. And what's crazy is like, you know, at this time I'm talking to Scott Vogel on the phone, like every day. I'm like, we're going to start a band and you're moved to California. We're start a band. And we hadn't had a name or anything like that. And then eventually, you know, Todd Jones starts calling me and we start talking about him doing it all together. And we finally 
you know, get together and we form terror before we had called it terror. We formed terror. It's like Nick Jet was the the newest guy that none of us had met. He was obviously super cool and had a studio and, you know, me, Scott and him and Todd got together and we like wrote a couple songs. Then I went to, I went to Vegas and I broke my edge. I started drinking. So you broke your edge in Vegas? Yeah. Like right after like the first terror practice. If there's one place to do it, that's a pretty awesome fucking Yeah, spot. it was like, we were just like, <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, like, I was like, I don't want to have it, you know, I, like, ah, I want to see what it's all about. You know, I'm, I'm getting older and it's like, whatever. Wow. And I don't know. I didn't think much of it. Do you remember what you um, had to drink for the first time? Was it beer? You know, or... I was, it's funny. I was just talking about this the other day, trying to figure out, is either an adios motherfucker. They were like, oh, get an okay. adios motherfucker. And I was like, uh, okay, that sounds cool. It's probably like a Long Island like, iced tea. It's like a, a lot, bunch yeah. of booze, maybe exactly. fruitier. That's, exactly. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So it's either like that or a Long Island Steve. It's like one of those things. That was your first time. And that was obviously after that last 10 yard fight show. Yeah. I mean, it was a couple of years after. I mean, I don't love the decision that I made to drink a long time ago. I don't think it's a great decision. We've had some fun. We've had Did- some laughs smoke weed or anything no, like that no. no okay you just like drink once in a while yeah no i mean i quit completely about six months ago i just kind of stopped drinking can i claim re-breaking your edge yes today? you can you can actually <laughs> it's been a while actually you brought it up first i will say yeah 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 i was feeling it for sure i always have like a beer on the podcast i don't know i, I love beer and stuff but anyway like- you know like it's weird to me when i was straight edge and I didn't ever have that camaraderie or the like the bonding of like buying somebody beer, someone okay. buying you a beer. I never understood it. I never understood cheersing. Thought it was kind of like a, you know, some fucking stupid thing that you say, right? But it, it does mean something, right? Like, doesn't totally. it? Like, it does. doesn't it like really mean something? Like you're here together right now, mm-hmm. like in this time in life, and yes. you're fucking sharing just a click of a moment, like one click. Yes. So it like, it actually like, it makes me feel like, oh, I kind of like made fun of that a little bit. You know, the it's Miller time. I get it now. So back then, before you broke edge, you didn't feel like you were missing out. You were just like, fuck that. Like you just had no interest. I mean, like most of my friends are straight edge. Mm -hmm. I was in a straight edge band running around, like singing about straight edge. Luke was straight edge too. For a while. Yeah, Luke was straight edge. Yeah, in my eyes, was totally straight edge man. Yeah. You know, like uh, in fact, I remember on tour with those guys when they were in Fast Break, and I remember Luke and Neil from MIs being like, "Hey, oh, we want to break our edge." I fucking love that man. Yeah, yeah. Neil yeah, St. Yeah. Uh, Clair. Saint- yes, Neil, Neil St. Clair. Yeah, we yeah. stayed with him and Kelly yeah, when we were on tour. Yeah. Oh, he's the best. He's the best. Yeah. So they were like, we we're in Miami. Mm-hmm. I remember this and they were like, John, what would you say if we wanted to drink? And I was like, I would say that you should absolutely drink. In this, You had already broken it. No, no, no. I was fully straight edge on that. Oh, wow. No, because this is how I feel. Like You're a cool guy for that. If you want to be like loyal to some fucking stupid, I don't want to insult straight edge kids because I really truly believe it. Yeah, it's total good, respect right? to that. But at the 100%. same time, like you are loyal to you, how mm-hmm. you feel. Mm-hmm. And if you don't feel like you fit in with that, it's time to smash the glass, get rid of it. I like that. This is what I said to him. I go, you know, it's funny about true till death. Like, what does it mean? Who are you true to? Are you true to this group of people and this saying and the song and, you know, the, the rules? Or are you going to be stuck with yourself for the rest of your fucking life? You need to be true to you, what you want, what you believe, what you want to do. And if you guys want to go drink a beer, you guys should just fucking go drink a beer for real. And we've actually had talks about that conversation. Like, Wait, So that was nice. both Luke and... And Neil at the same time. Yeah, it's like Miami. Luke, Neil, and I want to say even like Coach was part of it too. Like was just Steve Pika, the guitar player of um, Fast Break. Yeah, and they were just like, well, weird. I didn't think you would say it that way. It's like, why would I want you to like fake it? Even if I was like the, the police of straight edge, why would I want you to be faking it? 
Right. I want you to be sincere about it. If you're not sincere about it, let's let's get you a beer. Like so right was, now, you know. Was that the first time both of them drank? Did they end up having a beer that they night? didn't drink? I don't think they drank then, but they were like, We're gonna go home and tell sweet Pete that we're gonna break edge and quit. Dude, that's a, this thing was like a cult. It feels scary to like when I broke my edge, I felt like I had to explain myself, which was weird because a lot of people made fun of me for it on some like uh you know forum or something like that. Was it a cult? Cult like, like you control the way somebody eats, you control the way somebody lives, you know, you control the way they look, the way they dress. I think for a long time, straight edge became extremely homogenous. There was people, you know, like even like Sweet Pete, like I'll give him a lot of credit, man. He was like the godfather of straight edge in the whole Boston scene for sure. And when those overcast guys started drinking and, and not being straight edge, he was super cool to them. Same thing with the Kingpin guys. You know, he was, you know, still, they're still friends, right? Still people. No, but there's definitely a lot of people that were judgmental you know i mean like even when i was in high school when friends were kind of dropping out it just felt like well we don't share this thing anymore and i think when you're so young you don't know how to articulate that totally. it's like hey man like we just had this thing together now i'm just sad we don't have this thing together and i don't know how to move forward i don't know what to call you up about if it's not to talk about youth of today lyrics i just don't know that's why a lot of people i think a lot of people acted stupid to people who are breaking the edge and stuff like that in addition to that i think at that age you take things more personal but i mean like many of us i think like especially me at the time i was upset at family members who were fucking druggies like my uncles were druggies and i did not like it i felt like druggies? they like, i mean they were druggies they you know they died one of my uncles like died heroin. very young yeah heroin and uh yeah, it was a speedball user he like yeah. literally shot speedballs and Jeez. i saw this when i was a kid and it wasn't cool like i was very young i was in this environment my mom was young when she had me my mom was 13 when she had me so oh, i was wow. like unsupervised a lot or around uncles and things like that and i saw them so in a sense i was really angry at people who do that stuff now it's different you know drinking a bud or having a weed gummy is not the same as like what my uncle was doing because so my uncle was shooting speed balls and then like getting in trouble with the cops and having cops like fight in the right in front of me so i was mad about the traumatic stuff that went on there and i was always afraid that my friends would eventually disappear into that i was afraid i would disappear into that. and what's funny is i don't really have all that much of a you know i'm obsessive about things in in the adhd sense but like you know with alcohol i'm just like you know what that was cool I'm just going to fucking lay off for a while. Did you lose friends over it? Yeah. A couple of people were like pretty weird to me. I was in Orange County at the time. I was hanging out with like Throwdown and 18 Visions. All those guys were super straight edge. A lot of their friends were starting to not be straight edge. And, you know, I was like this new friend that was hanging around. And, you know, a lot of those kids were definitely not that cool. They didn't think it was cool that I started drinking. I don't know, man. Like I've never felt like I was always like exactly... I always feel a little bit like an outsider. I feel like I can always operate on my own if I really needed to, you know, like yeah. I, I feel like I could just be myself by myself in a room forever. And I can just die that way. Um, <laughs> I really, and it's because, you know, I have my toys, I'm a guitar, you know, whatever. So I, you know, I, I, I kind of rebelled in a way to be like, all right, well, fuck those guys. But you know, I'm still friends with all of them. And I think we all kind of get it. Your life changes and you just, sometimes it's not that big of a deal. Like, like I was like, woke up the next day, like, wait, is it different? Like, am I, do my superpowers like go away? Can I still stage dive? Like, wait, what happened? You know, like, and I could still stage dive and I could still um, be not drunk, you know, I could still live and be yeah. normal. So. All right, man. So you've done so many rad things. Maybe I'll have to get you back sometime. <laughs> because we've been talking for a while. What can we plug? My Instagram, I've been spending a lot of time on my Instagram because I've been loving taking pictures. I got a bunch of idiot friends who'll still let me hang out backstage and they only kick me out like at like the fourth or fifth song, which is really nice of them. Thank you, Chad Gilbert, for <laughs> letting me run like eight songs. Dude, you're a legend. Yeah. Ten yard you, fight. Man. You're the best. Thank you. Respect. Appreciate you. Thanks, dude.
All right, let's wrap this one up, baby. Come on. Yo, how fun is John LaCroix? Hey, how about those cameos from Jake Brennan of Cast Iron Hike and the Disgraceland podcast? Little cameo from Kurt Ballou of Converge. All right, let's get the fuck out of here. Until next time, I love you all. Peace. Come on.